Hello, from Teacher Magazine, I'm Jo Earp and welcome to this episode of Global Education. Joining me from Paris today is Andreas Schleicher, Director for Education and Skills at the OECD and longtime teacher columnist. With the end of the year approaching, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to get his take on all things 2020 and also talk about the longer term impacts of the school shutdowns. You'll also hear how different education systems have responded to the pandemic restrictions. It's a really fascinating chat, so settle down with a cuppa and enjoy. Andreas Schleicher, welcome to Teacher. It's great to catch up with you today. It's been such a difficult year for everyone, and that includes teachers, leaders, parents, and of course, the students themselves. Although the COVID-19 pandemic has spread worldwide, the impact's been very different in each country and region, as we've seen. Um, I'm here in Melbourne, in Australia. You're there in Paris, and France, unfortunately, has been one of the hardest hit countries. Can you give listeners a sense of what's happening now, where you are? Yeah, clearly France is hardly hit and Paris in particular. At the same time, education is faring a lot better than in the spring when the pandemic hit first. You know, schools were among the first institutions to be closed. And now, uh, and while restaurants were kept open, and now it's really the reverse. I think the country has got its priorities right. The schools remain open. That's sort of the last thing that is now going to be closed, whereas almost everything else has been locked down. So, but I think it's uh, it's progress. Mm-hmm. What about the general mood of people? It must be very difficult under those circumstances. What's the mood like in schools among teachers and students? Well, I think for, for many young people, it's a, it's a place of stability. And so you have actually many young people saying, well, I'm happy that I can go to school. Uh, teacher participation is good as well. You know, there were a lot of concerns that teachers would not, you know, would be would be worried about the health situation, but uh, schools have put uh, many really solid safety measures in place. So I think it's difficult. Uh, it varies also locally, regionally, uh, but overall, I think in the education system is managed uh, quite well. Certainly, again, a lot better than was the case earlier in the year. Now, as director for education and skills there at the OECD. And aside from your own team there, you're regularly in contact with educators and policymakers from around the world. I want you to cast your mind back to the early part of 2020, when things first started to take off with the virus. Um, what was the initial thinking about the possible impact that it might have on school education? Good question. I think for a start, uh, education policymakers didn't have much of a say when the pandemic hit. You know, the decisions on school closures and education were largely made on the basis of health concerns by uh, policymakers uh, beyond education. Uh, the crisis really caught education cold, certainly in Europe. Uh, we didn't uh, have much knowledge about how to keep schools safe and how to have education coexist with the virus. And uh, probably we overestimated the role that schools play in spreading the virus. There were big concerns about this, you know, schools being places, some called um, cruise ships on land, you know, lots of people packed and uh, big risk. I think by now the knowledge base has improved a lot. So I think that's also why schools can now be managed. But at the beginning, I think 
it was really uh, education was cold. Like uh, people did not have experience with remote learning. Uh, that became sort of the lifeline for success. Uh, you could see how technology was not moderating, but really amplifying uh, the many inequalities in education. Not for young people who had, uh, who knew how to learn, uh, who could manage their own learning processes, who had a very supportive ecosystem around them, parents included, who had access to great digital technology, very well supported by schools. For them, you know, this may have been liberating and exciting in the early days, uh, but for the many young people here in France and, and around the world actually, who were used to be spoon-fed by their teachers, who learned in little chunks and bits, who uh, did not have access to good technology, where teachers were not ready to support them with uh, online learning, I think they have been really badly left behind. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was thinking about just then, I don't know if it's the same way you were, but we were hearing constantly in those early days from politicians, you know, there's no playbook for this. We've had nothing like it before. And um, I, th I think here that was a thing that people struggled to come to terms with, um, that there was no reference point really for them. Well, actually, you know, uh, many countries have plans for pandem uh, pandemics. Uh, that's that's actually quite well established, but still I think we've never used those plans. And uh that's why, particularly for education, you know, we have uh, we, we, we could have prepared ourselves a lot better for many of the challenges, like particularly on the technology front. The technologies that have been used have been around for years, but uh, I don't think people had uh, thought about it. Uh, there was nowhere else to look for solutions. No? Often what you can do in a kind of global environment, you look to countries who do something particularly well, but uh, I think this has been really, really difficult. Every day you would wake up in a different world. No? That's true. It did change every day in those early days. And uh, as things developed, of course, we saw schools shutting down en masse. How many students were effectively locked out of school around the world? Well, at the end of March, that was sort of the height of the uh, lockdown in schools. We had 1.6 billion students uh, not taking part in learning. Uh, that sort of estimate then got lower as schools partially reopened, but it's a very, very large number. And uh, this is going to leave long shadows over our economic and social well-being. And was there a disparity there in terms of background? Um, did it tend to affect more disadvantaged areas, rural areas and so on, or really was it just right across the board? Well, in the OECD countries, it was pretty much across the board, uh, uh, the, the school closures. No? But uh, the obviously the lockdown had a differential effect by social background. Now, students from disadvantaged backgrounds had much fewer means to make up for the learning losses. Now, they were to look at alternative learning opportunities, students from wealthier backgrounds could draw on a wide range of alternative possibilities and I think that's where the inequalities really come from. Everybody was out of school but you know what you can do when you're out of school can vary a lot by depending on the resources and the knowledge that uh, your parents have. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about some of the examples of what happened in a moment. COVID-19 has really highlighted the crucial role in society that teachers and school leaders play. Of course those in the education system already knew it but it was a reminder for other people I guess. The speed of the response from school teams in terms of keeping the community up to date, adapting to new ways of working, um, basically ensuring a continuity of teaching and learning has been so impressive, hasn't it? Yeah, I think uh, we have 
you move towards making education a whole of society project in this crisis. And if you look at the last 10, 15 years, there had been a kind of trend towards commodifying education. No students becoming consumers, parents becoming clients, teachers becoming service providers, and there's sort of an increasing distance in education. And I think this crisis has really made everybody part of the process. As a parent, you know, you had to struggle. Uh, you understand, you know, what, what teachers actually do every day. You had to, when you educate your own children. As a teacher, you suddenly saw, well, you know, if I was just broadcasting knowledge, I will not reach my students anymore. I no longer have to be just a good instructor. I have to be also a great mentor, a great coach, a great facilitator, a great kind of evaluator, a great social worker. So I think the role of teaching has uh, fundamentally changed and communities have chipped in in many ways as well. I think this has been maybe one of the more positive developments during the crisis, that there has certainly been much greater awareness of the role that education plays. Also that education is not primarily a transactional process, but a relational process, that those kind of social relationships really, really matter. Technology, you know, has been a great kind of lever it has amplified the work of teachers, you know, uh, accelerated it in many ways, but it has certainly not replaced the many social functions of schools. And I think we realized their importance. You could see that also when you look at the priorities that policymakers set during this uh, pandemic, and we have quite good data on this. You know, typically, school is all about academic uh, knowledge, whereas in this crisis, many of the social functions, also student well-being, teacher well-being, the role of social emotional skills, all of that has risen to the forefront in ways that we have not seen before. No. Andreas, there are so many things we'll learn from this going forward, I think. Before we talk about the future and returning to learning and some kind of normal, I just wondered whether you could share some of the examples of school and system responses in different countries. You've sort of hinted at that. Can you give some examples of innovative or good practice during the pandemic in maybe two or three countries? Yeah, you know, what was so interesting to see is that even though countries were quite similarly hit by the pandemic, the health kind of dimension of it, the education systems responded so differently, where you did have a lot of frontline capacity. Uh, you had a lot of responsibility in classrooms, in schools, where schools were used to actually design their own learning environments to manage the space, the people, the time, the technology, and creative phase they were very quickly back on their feet. That's what you could see, whereas where you had this heavy kind of command and control education systems, very hierarchical, that really, really struggled in the pandemic. Because in this moment of crisis, as a school leader, for example, you don't ask yourself you know, whether people follow your instructions. Uh, you ask yourself, how well can my own people collaborate? And that's really what this crisis has, has shown, where schools... Uh, had a high degree of professional autonomy and were working in a collaborative culture, they managed really well. Technology has made a huge difference. Like if you could see a remote learning in China, that was very, very impressive. Now in, a, in one month's time, they had over 50 million people uh, learning online in high quality learning environments. Now because they got the tech industry, they got the teachers, they got everybody on board. Teachers were used. They, they, they you know, spent maybe less time to teach than the teacher in Australia or, or Europe, but they spent a lot more time as researchers, as designers of, of learning environments. They spent a lot of more time with their students outside the classroom. So they were used to deal with kind of these frontline responsibilities. 
uh, if you go to the other end of the world, in Bogota, you know, the online learning was well beyond the reach of most uh, most families. They didn't have computers. And they suddenly said, well, you know, we don't have computers, but we have actually mobile phones and we have television. So they were very creative, actually, working with the broadband companies to give students free access for education resources, government putting their curriculum uh, on mobile networks, complementing this with a great television program. So you can see even a relatively poor education system like Bogota in Colombia was able, capable to manage in this crisis because they were flexible. They didn't sort of push everybody in online learning and then see we don't have the resources and infrastructure, but they looked at what infrastructure do we have? How can we use that really, really creatively? In the Nordic countries in Europe, again, a lot of capacity locally. Some of them were very, very good at using digital resources and that pays off in this crisis. The education systems that really struggled were the kind of heavy industrial kind of old style systems, command and control systems, where uh, lines of chains of command broke down and the education system uh, was was in very bad shape. The other dimension I think that really distinguished uh, countries were um, was trust. You know, uh, reopening school is not something that you can declare. You need to convince parents that schools are safe. You need to convince teachers that actually their work environment is safe. So where you have uh, trust in students, trust in teachers, trust in educational institutions, that was sort of the glue that held uh, systems together in this moment. Again, systems, high trust systems were doing much better than low trust system where you had lots of people even going on a strike and so on. Uh, curriculum redesign, you know, uh, Portugal in Europe was a very interesting example where, uh, you know, we have less teaching time in the, in a pandemic that was very obvious, uh, but they made very conscious decision. You know, if we have less time, what is really important for us rather than sort of pushing down more on teachers, you know, making our learning system sort of a mile wide inch deep, just rushing through a lot of stuff for an exam, they asked themselves, you know, what is really important, what matters, and then focus on this. And they got people on board for this. So you could see actually, they've probably seen more social and technological innovation in the last six months than in the last six or maybe 60 years. And uh, I think that's really um, what uh, gives me hope that uh, there may have been less reform, but there's certainly been more change in, uh, in education. That's interesting. You mentioned the example from Bogota about the television. Despite everyone's best efforts, students have inevitably fallen behind in some areas. As you say, technology has only been part of the answer, really. And what you were mentioning there about television, that goes to an infographic I recently did on a UNICEF report showing internet-based instruction um, was being used by, I think it was 83% of ministries of education during the lockdown around the world, and they analysed more than 100 ministries of education. But... Um, it only had the potential to reach 24% of school students, um, while television had a much wider reach. What impact has the last nine months had on student progress then, and also their well-being? Yeah, on, on learning progress, you know, our estimates at the OECD sort of, uh, as a, broadly across OECD countries, we probably have at least three months of effective learning time lost. And uh, again, that has huge consequences for the on the economic side, you, you look at Australia, a country like Australia, that could translate into a kind of an economic whole of 870 billion 
uh, US dollars over the working life of the young people today because you know less educated re uh, people become less productive workers. You add that up over the working life, it is a very very significant amount. And once again, it has had has hit people very differentially. You know, students from advantaged backgrounds could make up for the gap. Students from disadvantaged backgrounds really were left behind. That's just the economic dimension. Then you look at the social dimension. You have to factor in in many countries, particularly students from poorer backgrounds, for them school may be the safest place and the most certain place in their lives. And uh, the teacher may be one of the most important people in their lives. You know, a person who understands their dreams and passion, a person who engages them, supports them, gives them courage and suddenly that world breaks down and that has really deep consequences. Now, once again, education is always a kind of a relational process and uh, it's very, very hard to put a number to this, but I do believe the social consequences may be even uh, bigger than the mere economic uh, uh, picture of this. Now, um, again, countries differ in how they have been able to compensate for this. Once again, where you had family environments where school has been the center of community, you had lots of resources to to compensate, to, to where school was a kind of pure service provider on academic learning. I think uh, this has left a really deep mark on people now and our nations and our economies. I think that's something that we will uh, feel in the years to come. And uh, of course, the pressure for school leaders and teachers has been immense. Again, what kind of impact do you think this has had on their welfare? Yes, certainly the amount of, of pressure this has created and uh, not just, you know, in terms of workload, also the level of responsibility. You suddenly feel responsible for a lot of people. You do not know how to reach your students. You uh, do not you do not even know how well they are. When you see them in the classroom, you can sort of relate to them. I think all of this added together has left, uh, and, and teachers were not really well supported in this. We also need to see that basically our uh, the support systems that we have in education are generally not very strong. So I think that's a big kind of uh, uh, load on them. At the very same time, I think uh, there have been amazing teachers and school leaders in this crisis. And for them, probably for the first time, they may have also said, well, actually, I can change things. I can actually take things in my own hand. And I, you know, after this crisis, I expect that you're going to have many students going back to their teachers and saying, well, you know, uh, I have learned to learn on my own. I've discovered so many interesting resources. Why do we have to go through this kind of boring, standardized kind of way of learning? And I expect you're going to have many teachers who are going to go back to their school leaders and say, well, you know, I have learned to reach out to my students. I have, I like to be a coach, a mentor, a, a facilitator, and uh, I've really uh, found out a complete new awaiting. I became a designer of very innovative learning environments. Why do we need to go back to the kind of old, kind of uh, uh, highly structured learning environments? And I think you're going to see many school leaders who will say the same. So I think, uh, yes, there has been huge pressure on them, but I also think this crisis has unleashed a dynamic and initiative at the front line that I think will change education for good, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the responsibilities there. I remember speaking to a couple of school leaders this year and they were saying, you know, in the early days, I was basically the news outlet for the school community. You know, they, they were coming to me for information and updates, not just, not just on school, 
um, but what was happening in general with the pandemic. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. Just to end then, in your last teacher column, you spoke about how the ball is really in our court, if you like. It's up to us how we respond from here. Just quoting that article, you said, while the crisis has exposed the many inadequacies and inequities in our education systems, this moment also holds the possibility that we won't return to the status quo when things return to normal. You touched on it in the last answer there. Can you expand on what you mean by that and what do you hope to see in 2021? Yeah, you know, I do think if we just return to the status quo, uh, we leave uh, many young people with a you know, bleak future. Now, they have lost a lot of learning, particularly the disadvantaged. They're not going to catch up with this. And I think uh, we will. That's sort of just for the individuals. For our systems, I think we uh, have been very good to educate young people for our past. But uh, uh, we need to think harder about how to educate them for their future. And I think this crisis has highlighted that uh, success is not just about, you know, cognitive learning outcomes. The kind of social and emotional development is very important. And again, those are the knowledge, skills, attitudes and values for the 21st century. And I think this crisis has brought that home. And if we take this to heart and redesign our curricula, you know, shift some of the emphasis, I think uh, this could be in a very, very important change. When it comes to technology, I think in the crisis, we have seen how technology access, use and quality of technology amplifies social inequality. But again, I see uh, that in the future, we could do things differently. I think we have seen in the crisis also that uh, technology well used cannot just conserve pedagogical practice, but really transform it. You know, as a teacher, you can better understand how different students learn differently and engage with those differences much more productively. Now, with you know, uh, learning analytics, uh, with big data, uh, I think with modern learning systems, uh, why would you listen to the results of an experiment when students can actually you know, do that experiment in a virtual laboratory? So I think technology can actually allow us to reach students much more individually uh, well supported by their teachers. So I think another sort of that we address the inequalities in this, I think how do we, you know, align resources better with needs? This crisis has really highlighted this as well. And I think that's that message got home to most policymakers that we need to do a lot better in, in ensuring that we, you know, find ways to attract the most talented people to the most challenging environments and uh, align resources with needs. So I think uh, that that makes me hopeful that this crisis highlighted the important social role of education. Now, again, it's not a transactional phenomenon; it's a relational phenomenon. Parents have seen, you know, how important it is, what learning actually means for children, and uh, I expect that you will see many parents who will become much more engaged in the education of their children beyond this pandemic. So. This is an important momentum that uh, education could use to reinvent itself rather than just, you know, go back to the status quo. The work organization in education, we still have this kind of very hierarchical kind of structures. And uh, I think the people who have taken initiative, taken responsibility, they, I think, uh, will want to see that changed uh, in a more productive way. So. That's, it's, I think, the possibilities that arise from this. And I'm, I'm certain that some countries will leverage those possibilities. Maybe not everyone, but I do think 
this crisis will certainly mobilize uh, many good ideas in education systems for transformational change. Well, it certainly will be interesting to see what happens. Um, Andres, it's been fascinating getting your insights today. Thanks for joining us at Teacher, and we wish you all the best for 2021. Thanks so much. Same for you. That's all for this episode. If you want to keep listening, there are more than 180 podcasts in our archive across our series on global education, teaching methods, school improvement, behaviour management, action research, our monthly regulars, the research files and our teacher staff room roundup and special episodes. You can find them on the teacher website or wherever you get your podcasts from. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast app to keep up to date with the latest from Teacher Magazine and please rate and review us while you're there.